Do you struggle to find answers to your pelvic health problems? Do you feel silenced in your quest to just feel better? Women, girls, sisters, if you have experienced infertility, PCOS, incontinence, painful periods, sexual trauma, and so much more associated with the pelvis, then Women's Pelvis Wellness is a place for you. Me and experts from around the world are joining here to get you the answers to the holistic health that you have been seeking. Please join us in being a pelvis wellness warrior. Hey everyone, thanks for being here with us today. Um, today my guest is Jeanette Gator. And I actually met Jeanette through a women's networking group that we're both part of. And I just, I mean, we connected. Um, I think I made a post or something about pelvic health. And you commented that you, something about it. And I don't know. But we came together and you started sharing your story. And it wasn't even the intention of the connection, but I just thought it was really powerful. And I wanted um asked her to share it with the audience. And she said, yes. So thank you for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me today, Amy. Yeah. So um, one of the things that you shared with me again, and I don't know, you know, I don't know how old you are now or how old you were when you had your first child, but um, just kind of share that first birth experience with us. If you don't mind. My, yeah, that's, happily. My first birth experience was pretty standard hospital OBGYN type of birth experience. So, you know, I had actually one of the better uh, OBGYNs in the area where I lived. Um, he'd been come highly recommended by a lot of people. And in general, you know, his care of me and that sort of thing was great. And then we got to the hospital that night you know, um, before my daughter was born and was in labor for quite a long time with her and pushed for quite a long time. And this guy, unfortunately, I think I got there at like two in the morning and I was like 24, 25, 24, 25, somewhere in there. I'd have to do, go back and do the math, figure it out, but around that time frame, And, uh, he was really tired. He had just delivered a couple babies before me. And he had a seven o'clock surgery the following morning. And so this guy had just, he should have just gone home and left it to somebody else because he really was was not, wasn't that he was a bad doctor. He just wasn't able to function correctly. So probably at about, oh, I don't even know. I started in with back labor and because she was transverse, she was facing sideways and he was getting to the point where he's running out of time to deliver, to deliver the baby. So he decided, I think we should use forceps. And I said, no, I'm out. And I, I did have the presence of mind to say, no time out. You know, right. we're not doing that. I said, I'll sit here till you're done. If that's what I need to do. And he's like, well, I have to go. And I said, well, I understand that, but I'm not going to do that. And so she ended up actually being delivered by a resident in that hospital who ended up strangely enough becoming our full-time doc while we were still living in California. He, uh, he became our doctor because we liked him so much. And he took a completely different approach of 
you know, yeah, let's just wait, see what happens. And she was eventually born. He went into surgery at seven and she was born at about nine. Okay. In the morning, so about two hours later. And we did finally get her to flip around, you know, by doing some different positioning things. We finally got her to flip the right direction. So she didn't come out sideways. Sure. And what year was that? That was in 1984. Okay. Okay. 1984. Well, yeah. That that wasn't that long ago. So after that, you just kind of decided that you didn't want to do this hospital thing anymore. Well, you know what happened is a good friend of mine who was, uh, had been a friend of mine since like 1980, long time. Um, yeah, maybe even before that, but I, I'd known him for quite some time. He and his wife decided to become midwives. Wow. And he started just putting a bug in my ear about having babies at home. You know, and I didn't even know if I was going to have any more babies because I had endometriosis. Doctor had told me, no, don't expect to have any more kids. You know, things might not work right. I said, well, okay. And uh, probably about six months after that, particular diagnosis. I was pregnant with my second child. (laughs) So it was kind of funny anyway. um, But these friends of ours became midwives. And so our second son or our second child, our first son, um, we decided to go ahead and give, because the first birth really, I didn't have a lot of complications so much as, except for her being transverse so much as just the doctor was tired and just, you know, I had to say, no, I'm not going to make that same judgment that you would make. And so um, we went ahead and used them, you know, we got the kit substantially cheaper. Oh my gosh. Even with, (laughs) you know, insurance paying a lot of it, it was still substantially cheaper to have my son at home. Uh, And so we did that. And he was kind of interesting because his cord was wrapped around his neck twice. And so he was, he was a tight fit, so to speak, to get him out of there. But, you know, he's 33 years old today and he's doing just fine. So that was cool. But that's how I actually got out of having a hospital birth. It wasn't like, oh my God, I hate these hospitals. I don't want to do this anymore. It was, I started to become more enlightened and really hear more about, having kids at home. And because I wasn't, or didn't appear to be anyway, a high risk uh, person for having births at home, I thought that would be kind of cool. Yeah. That's what we did. And it it is way less stressful in my opinion. Well, certainly it was for me. I can't speak to anyone else, but for me, it's less stressful. Well, I mean, you're in your surroundings that you're comfortable with, you are in every day your family, all the support people that you want or don't want, you know, is there. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, you know, the bright lights and the IVs and the back and the forth, you know, there's just a lot of commotion, you know. Right. There is. And actually, IVs for me are a real issue. I have veins that have a lot of, oh, they call valves in them. So they can get blood out of them just fine. Not a problem. Putting an IV in, they always end up in my hand. Which yeah, hurts like the dickens. And so I they tried four times before they could get an IV in my arm that day at the hospital. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of that piece. Yeah. <laughs> so first baby in the hospital, traditional birth, second baby at home with midwife, right. third baby at home with midwife, right? Yes, except he had gone back to his house to get something. So he ended, <laughs> my son actually was born while he was gone. Oh. It was the funniest thing. 
And, um, you know, he got back like two minutes after he was born. So he still helped us cut the cord, do all that stuff. But he, I actually pushed him out while he was gone. Yeah. Um, he, cause he lived right around the corner from us. And then, yes, the, the third one was with a midwife as well. And then after that, cause you have 10 children all together, correct? I have, not, I have nine. You have nine, have nine children. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, yeah, after those two, then you just, you delivered them at home with, you know, your husband and your friends. Correct. Without a midwife. But with people who've had, you know, who have had many children. Yeah. And, you know, yep. that's that's how it was traditionally before it was removed and put in hospitals, thrown on our backs, you know, legs back. It was at home, surrounded by our neighbors and our aunties and our Grammys and our moms because mm-hmm. they've been through this all before. And it's interesting that, you know, as you had said that, you know, homeschooling was kind of just coming out at that time and home births had just been coming out at that time. And it's just so interesting to me because that's how it used to be. Like, it's not new, (laughs) you know? So it's so, yeah, it's just so interesting to kind of, yeah, think about it that way. But it was becoming more popular and people were looking into it more at that time. You know, you'd hear more and more people oh yeah, I don't have my, my kids at home or, or I'm having my kids at home or, and then at that time too, the hospitals were starting something called birthing suites and they were getting away from that really sterile, icky environment. As a matter of fact, I think Stephanie was born in a suite mm-hmm. and, but those were brand new. They were within five years of that time sure. frame. Yeah. Right. Otherwise it was super sterile, you know, hospital room basically. Right. Yeah. And like I said, I just, you know, to even have the, I guess the gumption at, you know, being a young person and telling the doctor, no, to me that, I mean, that's just really cool to me. And then, you know, to just have a couple of verse and then think, you know, I think I can handle this on my own, <laughs> you know, uh, cause all of my births were C-sections. So all of my photographs were, you know, sterile blue or green, everything, you know, the baby, next to me and I can't touch them. So, um, I mean, it just seems, it just seems much more beautiful to me. It's definitely more relaxed. I would have to tell you hands down. It's definitely more relaxed because you're not attached to monitors. Like you said, there's no IV. Um, you know, we, like, it's not that we didn't have our sort of things that happened, but, Um, what we did do, one of the things that we felt most comfortable with is whoever our doctor was at the time, we would, um, engender their help if we needed it, you know, and say, can we call you at home (laughs) if we have an issue? They're like, yeah. So we had some wonderful docs and they were just family docs, Yeah, but they would just, and it wasn't like they were going to, you know, give us massive you know, advice or whatever, but okay, this thing happened. What do you, you know, what do you think is going on here? So, um, and that we used that probably, I think t- at least twice, maybe three times where we would just call the doc and say, Hey, got a question. Can you help us? Sure. Well, and at, like you said, after your first child, they told you that you had endometriosis. Yes, they did. Now, how, how did they diagnose you? Was it just found in just a pelvic exam? Yeah, it was more like a pelvic exam. I went in because I was having pain all the time. Like after there was her like, or before her? Uh, it was after my daughter. I never had an issue before her, but after her, I started having issues. 
And um, I was having pain all time, almost continually all month long. Okay. And there was a point where it would stop short term. You know, I, I don't remember if it was right before, right? I was probably right after my period and be like a week. And then the other three weeks, I would just hurt, 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 hurt. So I went into the doctor and he basically did a pelvic exam. He looked around and he said, I really am pretty sure this is what you're dealing with is this endometriosis. And we didn't do massive testing because it wouldn't have necessarily changed the outcome. Right. So uh, we just, I said, okay. And that's when he told me that he thought he wasn't sure we were going to be able to have any more children because of what was going on in there. And uh, he was obviously wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was cute. Yeah. So have you ever considered, you know, being a doula or something like that? You know, I did for a while. Or a birth educator? I did for a while uh, I, because it's cool. It's, and, you know, I've obviously done it a few times. I've been at other people's births before. I have done that and helped out. Just like people help me, I help them. Um, so I have done that. However, I realized in the long run, I don't deal well with crisis. Okay. I get kind of emotionally wound up and start to worry and I was concerned, you know, because not everything goes 100% correctly like it should. And so I think I was thinking if I were to do that, I would have to make sure that I could be calm enough and level-headed enough to get that done. And so I kind of set it on the side burner and I never really did anything with it. But if, as I had friends and even my daughter-in-law actually had asked me to be at her birth when she was here in Colorado Turned out that I ended up with the flu, and so I couldn't go. But truthfully, it's probably better that I wasn't there because hers was one of those birds that didn't work well at home because she almost bled to death. Yeah. So um, it's like I said, in the long run, I look at it as probably better for both of us that I wasn't there because I think yeah. I've been freaking out. Well, it's so interesting that you say that, that you don't do well in crisis, that you get emotionally wound up because you birthed eight children at home. I did. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, wouldn't that be a very emotionally charged moment? And you obviously were level headed enough to, you know what I mean? Like I was. Yeah. yeah. I, it, for me, you know, it didn't seem like a huge risk. Sure. You know? um, I didn't have anything happen to me like happened to my daughter in law. Sure. Not yeah. even remotely that difficult. Um, so for me, those were, you know, you, you take a modicum of risk. You just do. And, sure. and I think that's something, unfortunately, in our society today that we don't do so much anymore. It's like, no, we can't well, take a risk doing that. The reality of it is that we take a risk either way. I mean, there's still risk when delivering in the hospital. Yep. You're right. You're absolutely you know, right. So, I mean, obviously right. you're in the hospital. So if there's, you know, a central abruption or something like that, and obviously, you know, you have immediate access to an OR. So there's obviously benefits in that way. But there are, you know, I mean, unfortunately, we still can't save them all, you know. No. Um, but again, I just I thought that your story was interesting, just um, kind of. Just, you know, what, you know, learning your path and how now, you know, because I know that we spoke a little we spoke before. And now that you know, the kids are grown and out of the house, there's grandkids. And I know that 
unfortunately, your husband, you know, passed away um, fairly recently. But in all of that, you're finding that, like, you kind of get to reinvent yourself now. That is correct. Yeah. That's, that's, that's been really think, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think that so many times women wait that long. You know, they wait till the kids are gone. They wait till the husband's gone or just not necessarily gone, but maybe, maybe they want to wait till they're retired or maybe they have to wait until this, maybe they have to wait until that. And then all of a sudden they realize that, you know, their whole life has been used up kind of on other people. And not that you would change anything because they're your children. It's your family, but it's Mm -hmm. cool. It's cool that you get to, you know, do this now that you have this chance. I do. Yeah. And, it, and it's good that I recognized that I had given my life away to other people all that time um, and didn't continue in that time frame or in that, not that time frame, but that, that right. path. Yep. Um, I, it really, for me, for me, and it's probably not this way necessarily for everyone, but for me, it was a conscious choice to step out of that path into a different path. And uh, I'm, I'm actually now working on uh, becoming a published author and a and a, a public speaker. So it's been really cool. I've got I've had with the last month probably about eight speaking engagements. Another one just came in today. So uh, it's very cool how you know those doors have opened since I decided to change the path. Sure. What are you writing? I am going to write my story. Um, I call it, it's either going to be called probably either out of the shadows or um, never too late to bloom. But the bottom line is my story is one of someone moving from the shadows or darkness, if you will, into the sunlight and figuring out, Hey, wow, I really, I am, am really a person. It's not, I don't have to live everyone else's life. I could live my own and, and I really would love to share my story with younger women, truthfully. I, I agree with you. I don't think people should wait till they're my age to figure this out. I, I think we often do. Mm-hmm. But I think it's better if they can figure it out. I, I, honestly, it would have been better for me if I had figured it out at 25. Not that I would have necessarily been a speaker or had less children or done whatever. But if I realized I was living my passions and my dreams it would have been a lot better than living someone else's life instead of my own. Right. Yeah. And so that's obviously what you speak on too, is telling your story. And it is wonderful. And, you know, I've been at events before where there has been a wide um, range of ages, you know, from like early twenties or I mean uh, late twenties all the way up to mid seventies. And I've heard it, you know, these older women, society will call them elderly women, say, you know, that like, what voice do I have here? Like, what do I have to say? I'm just an old lady, you know? And I remind them, you know, that, you know, you're, you've everything that we're going through, we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, whether it's, you know, a colicky teething, you know, baby, or whether it's the teen years or whether it's, kids getting married or whether it's being worried about, you know, pregnant daughters, whether it's being, you know, grandkids, like you've lived everything already. You have the knowledge that we need. So, I mean, we need you and we need, um, we need more women like you to speak up, I think. And we need 
more women of all ages to, you know, just respect older women because um, they are considered the wise ones. They're the cronies. Um, you know, if you listen to um, certain American Indian um, speakers, they will tell you that, you know, the, the human woman is the only thing that changes twice throughout a lifetime, you know, and they change obviously once to become a woman and then they change another one, another time to become again, the wise one, the medicine woman, and that they're revered, but they aren't revered in, you know, our general society anymore. They're shoved off in nursing homes. I'm definitely not saying that you're that, that you're to that age, but I've worked, you know, in nursing homes for 20 years. I mean, I've seen people in there from the age of late forties, Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, it's never too late to reinvent yourself. You, everybody has a story to tell, and that story is going to, you know, touch someone else who needs to hear it. So I applaud you, and I thank you. Well, thank you, and yeah, that really is my mission: is to touch people's hearts. Yeah, and it's interesting because I thought, okay, my primary audience is going to be women, uh, although I've been giving this speech at Toastmasters preparing to do some of these other speaking engagements. And some of the men are like, wow, your story is really touching me. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) that's cool. Yeah, You know, so it's really neat that it's not necessarily only women, but I think it's primarily women because women have this tendency to nurture and give and give when they don't have and I, I don't know how many women were like me, but I was like this for sure. I kept waiting. Okay. Cause somebody will take care of me. Somebody will take care of me. Yeah. <laughs> and I figured out, no, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> it was not that nobody ever took care of me. I don't want to make it sound like that, but I, you know, I think we think since we give out so much, someone will give back. Right. And in fact, that doesn't really work out when you do. No, that. it doesn't. It just doesn't. And I think if I would have recognized that as a younger woman, I could have taken the steps to take care of myself better. Right. Yeah. Well, and even just little things, you know, I don't know how many parents I know whose kids are in their early teens and they don't wash dishes and they don't know how to run the washing machine and, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't scrub the toilets. I mean, the other day I just... Well, this was a couple of weeks back. Um, it was a weekend. The kids were just like laying on the couch, you know, watching TV, probably on phones or something. And I was doing the dishes and I was doing the laundry and I was like thinking about all these things I had to do. And I thought to myself, what the hell? Why am I busting my butt here? And these three very capable children are just sitting on their butts. And so I was like, that's it kind of freaked out a little bit and I'm like no we're make, like this is this is not happening I'm not the only one that lives here you all need to they know how to do those things but it's not something I ever made them do consistently so now they all have a night that they wash dishes and they all have a night that they cook and you know they all know how to run the dishwasher so I'm like okay. you're here because I share because I have 50 50 with their dad so when they're here I'm, I'm just a supervisor. <laughs> well, you, you, you do, everything. do the chores that they, they need to know how to do those things anyway. Well, they have to know how to take care of themselves. 
Exactly. And, and that's one of the things, well, it was hard with, with nine children and I had my first five were my, my oldest was eight when I had number five. So it was boom, 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 you know, pretty sure. much right. Now. And, uh, with that many small children in the house, I started training my kids how to cook probably when they were about two. Yeah. Uh, I'd get them up on a stool and they'd stir the oatmeal. Yeah, sure. that wasn't a lot, but they, you know, they learned that the stove was hot. Yeah. I, one of the funny <laughs> stories, I still tell this story today to people and I'm telling it now, I guess. But uh, my third child, my second son, was cooking with me one day. We were making oatmeal on the stove and we had a gas stove. And for some reason, something fell on the floor and I leaned over to pick up whatever it was on the floor. And he was standing on the stool next to the to the stove and I stood back up and his eyes were like this. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong? And then all of a sudden, out of this, out of my peripheral vision, my hair had caught on fire. Oh no. <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> you know, patting out my hair and trying to calm my son down because he's like freaking out because mom's burning up, you know. So but it was just cute. And he was probably <laughs> three or four years old. He wasn't very old. Yeah. But he uh, he didn't get hurt, but right. tried to burn my hair off. Right. So. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, they just, they have to learn, you know. We need, uh, we need, well, to, we need to be making our kids do a lot more, I think. Um, mm-hmm. in, in the way of literally just learning how to take care of themselves on a daily basis. Yep. You know, I mean, I think it's, I, I had um, an acquaintance probably about, I don't know, six years ago. Both of her girls were teenagers at the time and she had really bad plantar fasciitis. And she said, I have to mow the lawn and I can, it's so terrible. And I said, well, you have two teenage daughters. They can mow the lawn. And she's like, I'm just worried they're going to chop off their toes or something. And I'm like, oh my God, no, they're not going to chop off their toe. Are you kidding me? <laughs> come on like get out there you got to teach them how to do these things you know are you going to mow their lawn forever <laughs> right well exactly and I kept you know it's like as I would do things and I was like well you know I need to teach kids how to do this because that's what I would tell them guys you need to learn this because I'm not gonna be around forever yeah and you got to figure out how to do it right and uh and I really do feel that's one of the things that I feel like I did accomplish with my nine children is I did teach them to be self-sufficient and to take care of themselves right. and to be able to cook and clean and do laundry and you know they're not going oh my god I gotta take laundry home to mom because I don't know how to do this sure I actually went yeah. to school but when I was in college there was a guy like that he had no idea how to do laundry none his mom always did it for him yeah I'm like dude figure it out (laughs) yeah wonderful well thanks for telling your story and thanks for I mean thanks for recognizing and having the courage to you know step out of the path you were on and taking a new one so you can kind of help us help us youngins out a little bit yeah, I'm very excited. Thank you're welcome very much. And I, like I said, I'm super excited to do it. I know I met with a gal in Canada who actually is like, you know, women need mentors. She goes, we need to collaborate. So I think we're going to figure out something yeah. to where women like me that are older that have gone through all this stuff, like you said, 
can really help or when needed. I, I don't think anybody wants a boss, but just someone to oh, for sure. think off of or ask questions or just cry because today was a really crappy day. Yeah. 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 So, well, and I think too, um, one, one thing that I used to say that I have since stopped saying is um, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. because like we all know that it's going to pass but right now when i'm in the fiery depths of hell i don't want to hear that shit <laughs> so I've, no. since, I've since stopped saying that to other people because i thought to myself this is probably not really helpful <laughs> you know no right um, no it's not yeah so share with people um how they can find you uh you know you can email me at Jeanette at Gator.us. So it's my first name at my last name.us. You can, that's where I get a lot of people connecting with me, but you can also friend me on Facebook. That's Jeanette Gator. And uh, yeah, those are the two places. Cause right now this is all brand new. I don't have a website. Yeah. I don't have any of that sort of stuff up and running at this point and don't know when I will. Yeah. Well, you, those are you the will. best two ways. <laughs> It'll come. Those are the best two ways for people to connect with me if they're interested in speaking or just have questions. I'm happy to answer. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. You have a great day now. You too. Thank you for joining me today on Women's Pelvis Wellness, where you can be heard. Because remember, if you're not being heard, you're not being helped. Please join my Facebook group by the same name, Women's Pelvis Wellness, and join a community of women who are there for you to support you, guide you, and love you through your pelvic health struggles. Also, this is a great place to check out my new class schedule. Thank you for joining me in becoming a pelvis wellness warrior.